Hello, church family, and welcome to our continuing studies in the book of Revelation. Today we will pick up Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And I'm going to say this at the outset. I know I'm not going to finish this letter. So this will be in two parts, and today we'll just look at the first part. But we'll read the whole section. Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself from, uh, clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and be with him. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. May God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. This is the seventh and final church of Asia Minor that's being addressed. And before we get into the content of what Christ says to the church, I want to begin with um, three notes, very important notes about the city of Laodicea itself. And one of the reasons for this is because it has a great deal to do with both the tone and the content of what Jesus says to this local congregation. So we'll begin by looking at three things um, about the city of Laodicea. The first thing to note is that the city of Laodicea had a very robust and healthy economy. For one thing, they were located on the Lycus River and there was a lot of transportation going in and out of the city so it was sort of a port town, similar to perhaps uh, Corinth, but it was a very robust economy. In AD 60, um, Asia Minor was struck by a very severe earthquake, and it caused major damage in many of the cities, including uh, Philadelphia, which we covered last week, and also Laodicea. And Philadelphia sought and received disaster relief 
from the Roman emperor in order to rebuild. In fact, one of the reasons uh, Philadelphia had a strong relationship with the Roman Empire was because they realized they were in need of financial support. Uh, on the other hand, um, we know about Laodicea, they did not receive financial support. As a matter of fact, Roman historian Tacitus writes about this incident. He says, in the same year, Laodicea, one of the famous Asiatic cities, was uh, laid in ruins by an earthquake, but recovered by its own resources without any assistance from ourselves. Uh, so the idea is that when it came to the rebuilding of the city in the aftermath of this very severe earthquake, it was wealthy citizens, wealthy residents of the city that rebuilt all of the major structures. As a matter of fact, not just rebuilt, but actually started new building programs. So they were totally self-sufficient financially. A second thing we know about uh, the city of Laodicea is they, that they were known uh, for what was, um, or, or for a very well-known and highly respected medical school. So it was strong financially, but they also had a very well-known medical school. Uh, they were especially known for developing pharmaceuticals. So sort of an ancient, um, I guess, center for uh, pharmaceuticals, developing medicines. Now, Dennis Johnson, our good friend, uh, formerly, strange to say formerly, but formerly of Westminster Seminary in, uh, in, in Los Angeles, in, in Escondido, in his commentary, um, Triumph of the Lamb, he records a, a very interesting statement concerning the medical center that was there. He says, a leading dogmatic physician of the third century BC is known to have uh, an, an ophthalmology manual. He's written, a, he wrote a book on ophthalmology and the medical school itself was known for developing a powder that was used to make eye salve. So again, Laodicea was not only a very financially well-off city, but they were known for their medical school. And in that medical school, they were known for developing pharmaceuticals and particularly eye salve, which obviously stands out as we have just read from uh, from the text that reference to ISAL is, is in Jesus' address to the church. A third thing to note about the city of Laodicea is that they were located, as we mentioned, on or near the Lycus River. And this was good for commerce because obviously uh, a river means boats were able to come in and dock, and so it was a great place for commerce. It was, as we mentioned, sort of a port city, but it, the water itself from the Lycus River was, was really undrinkable. So even though they were, you would say, close to a water source, the water itself was not drinkable. 
In fact, it's described as being nauseous, and it was uh, also described as being basically white mud. So when you think of, again, what Jesus says, that I would spew you out of your mouth, and in effect, he's kind of reflecting on the water source of the city. Now, it's also worth noting that six miles to the north in Areopolis, there were hot springs, and these hot springs were known for their medicinal value. And at the same time, 10 miles uh, to the east was the city of Colossae. And Col Colossae, which of course is addressed in the New Testament, letter of Colossians, that's where um, it, was, it was addressed to Christians in Colossae. But Colossae was uh, the water, the main water supply in Colossae uh, they were supported by mountain streams that had cool and refreshing waters. And so the interesting thing about Laodicea is that with all of their financial resources and with the importance of being on the basin, uh, in the basin of the Lycus River, where it obviously had a positive uh, impact on their commerce, the water that surrounded them was not necessarily suitable for drinking. So for all of their other uh, financial strengths and, and independence and resources, the water that uh, supplied their most basic need actually had to be transported to them through various aqueducts. Uh, it was noted that uh, in the ancient ruins of the city, they saw um, the, the remains of various aqueducts, aqueducts leading to and from uh, Colossae, where they got the refreshing waters, and then also to Areopolis, where they had access to uh, the, the hot springs. Now, I mentioned these things about the city because what we'll see is, uh, is in, especially in Jesus' rebuke of the church, that for the most part, the church reflected the spirit and the character of the city. So we begin, therefore, with that threefold sort of footnote about the city of, 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 of uh, Laodicea before we look at the church. Now, I'll say this also as a footnote. It's common today to talk about the community church and I, I know the intention is usually good, but the inference is that the church should reflect the community, and in, in some respects that is true, especially externally, that when a church is located in a particular area, it is natural, and it would almost be unnatural, for it not to reflect the people that lived in that community. But the church, in terms of its mission, and the church, in terms of its message, is not supposed to be for or, or shaped by the community. The programs, uh, the, the things that really define a local church are not determined by the community. And so I find that interesting because the issue with the church of Laodicea, as we'll see, is that they were too much like Laodicea and not the way they should have been. So that brings us to a second thing, and that is having looked at uh, 
some things about the scene, let's begin by looking at the titles that Jesus uses to address this particular church body. And he defines himself or describes himself in three ways. He calls himself first the amen, and then secondly, the faithful and true witness, and thirdly, the beginning of God's new creation. Now, a good way, I think, to summarize this is to begin at the bottom, where Jesus defines himself or describes himself as the new creation. So to summarize it, by virtue of our union with Christ, the church is, or at least should be, a manifestation of the new creation. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul, uh, 1, oh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, the Apostle Paul describes the Corinthians, or describes really, I think it's a, an adequate description for the church period, he describes them as those upon whom the end of the age has come. So we are a the, the new creation, the manifestation of the new creation. Uh, Paul alluding to the, the church uh, at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, uh, describes them in this way, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And since we are the new creation of Christ, or since we are the new creation in Christ, it's, it really, in, in essence, we are supposed to reflect and represent that new creation. Uh, so when you look at the nature, the relationships within uh, the church community, when you look at the makeup of the church community, whether it's local or universal, it is, it, it really is supposed to reflect the new creation that we are uh, several places in the New Testament. It says that in Christ, we are neither male nor female, bond nor free. We are neither Jew nor Gentile. We really are a new humanity and the new creation. So barriers that would keep us from one another in a cultural setting or in society at large are really supposed to not, not play a major role in defining ourselves as a corporate body. This is one of the many arguments that I think we can make against the politicizing of churches. It's, I, as much as we want to live in an orderly society, it is wrong to make one's political affiliation a moral equivalency or a, a, a challenge to the legitimacy of their spiritual of, of their spiritual standing. Uh, so when we say that the church ought to be or Christians ought to be of this particular political ilk, we miss the point. As Jesus says to Pilate, when Pilate asked him, "Are you a king?" and Jesus says, "Not of this world." And so the church is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God 
is not of this world. We are in it, and Paul describes us in 2 Corinthians as being ambassadors of Christ. Uh, and as ambassadors, that means we are representatives of a foreign nation or foreign governor. And that governor, of course, is Christ. It doesn't mean that we are detached from the world in which we live. What it does mean, however, is that we are different. We are in it, but not of it. And so Jesus describes himself as the new creation. And as we begin to unpack his challenge and his rebukes to this church of Laodicea, it's because they do not reflect the fact of the new creation uh, in their dealings. And uh, let me make one other uh, reference here. Uh, this is the point that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians as well. When he's addressing uh, the fact that the churches or the members within the church were taking one another to civil courts to settle various disputes. And part of the logic that Paul uses to rebuke them for that he says, why are you going to uh, the secular authorities to resolve these matters? You should bring it before the church and let it be resolved by the church. Why are you allowing them to judge when we will actually judge the world? So the church, as Christ is the new creation, the new creation of God, by virtue of our faith and by virtue of our union with Christ, the church is supposed to reflect the new creation, even as we exist in this world. Uh, this was the point of national Israel. National Israel was not supposed to be like the rest of the nations because they were a microcosm of the new creation. And that's reflected in their dealings with one another and uh, the cause for worship and other things. So, uh, since we are the new creation in Christ, it is, it is proper uh, that he would begin his diagnosis of the true state of the church of Laodicea in light of that, of, of that, uh, of that challenge. So when it speaks of him being the new creation, it also means that, uh, well, he not only says he's the new creation, but he says he's the true and faithful witness. And true and faithful. So in other words, the one who is giving the diagnosis of what the real condition of that church is, is the true and faithful witness from God. And he says he's the amen. And the amen means let it be, or so be it. And so he's really the final word, the final and the, an authoritative source by which the church itself is to be diagnosed. Well, that brings us to a third thing, and that is the first diagnosis that Jesus gives to this church. And the first diagnosis actually corresponds to the water situation in Laodicea. He says, you are neither cold as the mountain streams in Colossae, nor hot like the hot springs in Areopolis. Instead, he says, you are lukewarm to the point that I want to vomit you out of my mouth, which is to say you are nauseous like the Lycus River 
that is the water, the primary water source for the city. And really, in short, what Jesus is saying is that in, in, this, in this description, he, his overall assessment is that the problem of the church of Laodicea is that they were too much like the city of Laodicea. So he sees a parallel between them and the city itself because the city itself does not have good water. If you drink the water of the city, you want to spit it out. And Jesus says the church, the church in Laodicea is not like the cool waters from Colossae which can give refreshment. And it's not like the medicinal hot springs uh, from Areopolis. Instead, you are like the city that you are in. So they are not an expression of the new creation. They are too much like the church or the city that they are in. So when Jesus in this diagnosis, by saying that they are neither hot nor cold, what Jesus is saying, in effect, is that you are defining yourself in terms of your character, in terms of your overall uh, assessment or your overall position in the city. You're very much like the city you are in. And he has sent us as ambassadors of another kingdom. Um, when we think about that, and this is, this is really the, the um, undergirding of analysis that will be fleshed out in the rest of the things that he says. You are too much like the city. Now, we've said this uh, in the past as it relates to worship, that oftentimes, uh, and, well, let me back up. We say this especially in regards to the worship of the golden calf. Uh, in the book of Exodus. With the, there's a reason that the, the uh, children of Israel made a cow. When, when, Mo, when Aaron uh, gave them, when the people gave Aaron their jewelry, there's a reason they fastened it in the image of a calf. It wasn't just random. And the reason for that is because one of the gods, one of the many gods in Egypt was the cow. And um, and, or one of their chief gods was represented by a cow. And so what, what Aaron does is he fashions a, an image of a god that corresponded to one of the, the, the images of deity from Egypt. And then later we see in the book of, of uh, Exodus during the, and also in, in Numbers, as the children of Israel journeyed to the promised land, they were also overtaken by various aspects of Baal worship. And my analysis, or let me also back up again, um, but yet when God gives Moses instructions for building the ark and then building the tabernacle which was the temporary place of worship and the portable place of worship as they journeyed. We read in the book of Hebrews that these things were copies of a heavenly reality. So everything related to uh, 
the instructions of worship and the furniture and so forth corresponded to a heavenly reality. So my analysis has been this, that for the children of Israel, and what's true of them is oftentimes true of us, the worship, they were challenged in the worship of the true God in that oftentimes their worship either reflected the Egypt they came from or the wilderness they were in rather than the city of God that they represented and were going to. And I think that's the challenge for contemporary worship as well or the contemporary church. Uh, obviously, we can't get rid of our cultural fingerprints. Worship service in America will look different slightly or in many ways externally from worship in India by Christians in India or Christians in various African countries. But on whole, it should be dominated, not necessarily by the culture that we are in, but the inbreaking of the heavenly kingdom that we truly are. So it doesn't mean that we can't have our own flavor. We, we do. But all of the, the cultural elements that we bring should be filtered through the reality of our being representatives of the heavenly kingdom. So what we see with the church of Laodicea, Jesus in challenging them, he says, you, when I see you, you are too much like Laodicea. And the thing about that is that if they are to have a, an impact as individuals within their community, if they are to have an impact even as a church body, our impact is not made by being replicas of the culture. Whatever healing, whatever challenges, whatever corrections that we can bring to the culture will be because of the otherness that we represent as the kingdom of God or the new creation. We are bringing people into the reality of the new creation. Uh, let me read from the book of Ephesians where the Apostle Paul addresses this because here he's addressing largely a, a congregation that's made up of Gentiles. But they are Gentile converts to the faith. And as such, he realizes that culturally there will probably be pushback. Pushback from Jews who had culturally a difficult time of assimilating with Gentiles. And so Paul says this about them. I'll begin in, in chapter 2 in the book of Ephesians, and we'll begin with uh, verse 11, and I'll read down to the end of the chapter. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, 
you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have we both have access and one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's what God is doing through Christ, through the Spirit, through the church. The church is not a reflection of the wilderness that we are in, nor is it to be modeled after the Egypt that we have come from. As we deal with the realities of our past, and as we deal with the realities of our present horizontal circumstances, it is important for the church to mold its character according to the new creation. So the love that we demonstrate one to another, it is unusual. The forgiveness that we show towards one another, it is unusual. You won't find a, a correlation to this in the culture because we are other than that. We are the new creation. The problem with the church of Laodicea is that they saw themselves, and they really were, a reflection of the culture they were in. So when Jesus addresses them, he addresses them as being too much like Laodicea and not enough like the new creation. Now, next week, I want to take it a little bit further and we'll go into greater detail. I don't want to start on it now because it's going to take us another hour. But I do want to look in more detail at some of those other characteristics that made the church of Laodicea more like Laodicea than the new creation. So in the very beginning, Jesus says, you're too much like the world. Uh, in other places in the New Testament, without using the local characteristics, for instance, John, who wrote the book of Revelation, he warns about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, in, later in Revelation, uh, the church is called to come out of Babylon which is not to say go leave this particular place because by uh, referencing Babylon, he's not saying actual Babylon as it is uh, geographic Babylon as we see it in the Old Testament, 
but he's talking about the influences of the world and the challenge, and it's very difficult. And I say this with all humility. It is difficult for us to not be more like any aspect of the world or the culture we are in. It is difficult for us, as it is for individual Christians, to conform our thought patterns and our actions. It's, it's difficult for us to conform those things to Christ. In the same way, it's difficult for us collectively to, to really kind of conform, not to the thought patterns of the world collectively, but to be, to be conformed to the image of, of the new creation. That's the challenge that Paul addresses in Romans 12 when he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that challenge is not just for individual Christians. It's also apt for co uh, corporate or collective church bodies. So we will pick up next week by looking at Jesus' deeper analysis of how the church of Laodicea is more uh, resembles more of Laodicea than they do the new creation. We hope our time together has been fruitful. We pray that you would look at these things and continue to meditate on them and pray that God would give us a firmer understanding of them so that we can bring the fruit of that reasoning to our interactions and dealings within the context of the local church body. Since we are meeting in this way, um, uh, online streaming, that means we are not, uh, we have not returned to our regular Bible study format. We do uh, ask that you would continue to lift the church universal as well as the church local in your prayers. We're grateful for our office staff, which continues to uh, come and, and, and do the work necessary to maintain the building, but also, especially for our staff, our office staff, and uh, in particular, we have the custodians that do all the work, but we are grateful for our, our office staff for coming in and receiving your phone calls and responding to your questions, and Zena, Zena Wilson in particular, for making our prayer list available to you through emails keeping you posted on what's going on within the church family. So we do pray that you would be mindful of those within the church family, those names and circumstances that are listed. Remember one another in prayer uh, and also use our time of not physically gathering to make a conscious effort to reach out, uh, call someone, text someone, make yourself available uh, not just within the body, but begin, of course, within the body. But this is a great time to reach out to family members and even neighbors, especially if you live around uh, neighbors who are not around family or uh, aging neighbors who don't have family, immediate family close to them, so that we can be connected and uh, help one another as much as we can. So we do pray that you would continue to lift us in your, in your prayers as, as officers of the church, we are grateful for our deacons also in their continued service, and we pray that the Lord would continue to strengthen us through this season because we know that he is sovereign even in and through this. And there is nothing that we have experienced that is outside of his will or beyond his power. So we pray that even in this, that it would be our aim and our goal to glorify and to serve him because that's what we are here for.
With that, let us close in a word of prayer. Our God and our Father, we come to you in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do thank you for your tender mercies in him. We thank you for the gift of life and all that comes with it. And we especially thank you for newness of life that we have in Christ. We know that we are prone to, uh, to towards our old nature. We are prone to think of ourselves according to, to Adam. And even corporately, we are challenged to, to, to kind of reach outside of the bond or the box of, of what the world is around us. It's, it's easier for us to conform to the thought patterns of the world. So we do pray that you would make us mindful of those things that are closer to our fallen nature and are not what we ought to be because of who we are in Christ. We thank you for your word. We pray that we, as you have prayed for us, as Christ has prayed on our behalf, that we would not be taken out of the world, but we would be preserved from the evil one. We pray, Father, also that we would conform, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds individually and corporately, that we would see ourselves and conduct ourselves as the new creation, as those who have been saved by your grace, reconciled to you and to one another. And so we pray that you would let the words that we have discussed from our lesson, let it, let it, let it marinate in our hearts. And let that be the means by which we would see ourselves and interact within this world. We pray for this local assembly. We lift before you those who are hospitalized, those who have lost loved ones. We pray for our leaders, our deacons, our trustees, those who minister to the body in so many ways. We thank you for our ministers who help us in the ministering of your word. Strengthen us even in our time of, of separation and absence. Let our physical separation not be indicative of a spiritual separation, but deepen our bonds in you. We thank you for your tender mercies in Christ. Strengthen us now for your service and for your glory. We ask for forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for the atoning, the efficacy of the atoning blood of our Savior. Be with us now until we meet again. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.